This is inconstant. Okay, hello everyone. This is uh, the head new season of Inconstant, and this season we're going to be uh, focusing on business. Um, my guests today are sales people. Um, uh, my first guest is Michael Chan. He's the regional sales manager at Universal Lubricants, and he's uh, previously worked in the hospitality sector. And my second guest is uh, Saif Khan, who is the Associate Sales Director at Cognizant. How are you doing, guys? All good, all good. Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries. So um, kind of the reason I've, I'm going to do this season about uh, uh, business and, and skills is that I think a lot of people are kind of out of work at the moment. I think it'd be as a, as a good idea just to explore different business skills that people can have. And I came across this statistic that um, 65% of primary school children um, will be working jobs that don't exist yet um, when they come out of um, university. But I think sales is one of those jobs that's going to uh, still be around. So um, this is a, a question for both of you. Um, how did you guys get into sales? Mike, if you want to answer that first. Sure. Um, hello, everyone. Um, great pleasure to be part of this um, little chat. Um, I, I mean, for me, I, I kind of fell into sales. Really. Um, Grew up in Cornwall, um, went to uni, and then went back to Cornwall, ran my parents' sort of a restaurant business for a couple of years, paid my dues, um, and then moved out to London. Um, and then back in, you know, sort of the early noughties, um, I think media sales was, you know, quite hot for a lot of undergraduates. Um, and I think a lot of big companies... Uh, publishing houses are just like snapping up undergraduates on really cheap labor <laughs> so to speak and um actually went uh and got in with daily mirror um the newspapers um actually three national titles daily mirror sunday mirror and the people doing advertising sales so all the classified advertising um and i was in the the, the travel sector of the um three national titles um targeting the sort of um leisure and tourism uh, clients to advertise on, on the three national titles. Um, pretty much just pure telesales. Um, it was great fun, you know, come to think, come to think back. Um, great training, um, good benefits. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, to, to, to have, um, a national title under my CV was, was something that kind of affected me. Um, and I was there for about two and a bit years. Um, and then decided I wanted to carry on with, um, you know, what I was studying at uni, which was politics, and then wanted to do a one-year graduate diploma in law. And then I headed off to um, Sunny Hendon in the University of Westminster, not Westminster, sorry, Middlesex, sorry. And um, yeah, did a one-year graduate diploma. And had no intention of becoming a lawyer. Um, to me, I think they're a completely different breed, and I wasn't prepared for that kind of thing. Um, and then um, went into hospitality uh, and worked for a number of uh, hotels and hotel companies. Um, 
stayed in sales with them. Um, and, and, and I was there for about a good 14 years, um, mainly looking after the sort of corporate market. Um, started off as a sales manager and a senior sales manager and then director of corporate sales and, you know, so on, so on. So was, you know, thinking that I was going to be in there forever. Um, worked for some really good hotel companies, you know, from the sort of big Marriott to intercontinental all the way to sort of mid-size boutique hotel companies. Um, until COVID hit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think, I think loads and loads and loads of us got made redundant um got put on furlough first um and then at that point i just thought to myself sometimes you know it takes something this big to act as a catalyst to make you think you know what you want to do next um how you can actually transfer the skills that you have to other sectors and other industries and um and then i was just fortunate enough to get into the um automotive uh, engine oil and lubricants um, industry, working for um, a distributor um, as a regional salesperson. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, um, I've always, yeah, you know, the skills that we have yep. as salespeople. And uh, Safe, how did you get into get into kind of your sales job? Um, yeah, so similar to Michael, I kind of I kind of fell into into my sales career. So kind of going way back when. I was 16, 17 in my final year of A-levels and mum and dad got sick of me asking for pocket money. Um, so they said, go out <laughs> go out and do something of your own. Um, so un- my uncle um, was kind of a national award-winning salesman for Coca-Cola and Coty. So I thought, you know, I- I'll give it a go. It's just talking to people, right? Uh, it can't be that difficult. So I started as a Christmas temp um, at Phones for You. Um, I learned how to do that, that ridiculous hand Phones for You thing that was on all of the TV adverts. Um, I know I can't believe they made me do that either. Um, so I, I loved it. I mean, I started there and I, I kind of really had a knack for it, just kind of talking to people. And yeah, I, I, that's how I kind of got into it. And then throughout college and university, I just kept that going. So I worked for EE, Harrods, Vodafone in, in quite consumer facing roles. Um, and then post graduation, I was really at a crossroads as to what to do. Um, IT was kind of a tough sector um for, for for me to get into from someone that didn't go to a russell group university um so i thought well I've, I've enjoyed sales for the last six years why not have a go at um business to business sales um which is a little bit different to business to consumer um and, and yeah i started as an sdr so similar to my call kind of cold calling cold emailing um and then just kind of made my way up over the last couple of years or so so yeah that's been that's been my journey so um mike so you kind of mentioned kind of the change of industries that you've uh gone through um, what's it like selling to uh, a different type of buyer for you? Because I imagine like uh, previously it must've been kind of like quite corporate buyers. And uh, I imagine, you know, the engine oil industry, kind of the buyers are a little less, a little less corporate. So I was just wondering how that experience has been for you. Yeah. I think when I went to that interview, um, <laughs> he, he asked me a question. He goes, oh, so what do you think it's going to be like working for in this industry compared to, you know, hotels and hospitality. And I said, yeah, I know I'll be talking to a lot of geezers and, and, and it's so true. Um, is that type of industry It's anything to selling the products and oil to, you know, independent garages. Um, but you know, coming from a sort of very corporate background, I was able to apply my ideas and, and, and 
know, techniques and, and tactics to try and develop more, for example, the commercial fleet maintenance companies who have more formal bidding and tendering process to get their business and so on and so on, which I think um, my current company didn't kind of have any experience in. So for me to actually be able to apply my ideas like that is quite refreshing. Um, and, you know, to me, sales is sales at the end of the day, um, uh, albeit, you know, the customers and clients are, are a little bit different, but um, I've always taken to the sort of more consultative selling now, um, having been in the sort of hospitality industry for so many years. And I find that um, consultative approach is a lot more better than the more aggressive cold calling approach that I used to adopt. Um, so, and I think a lot of people buy into that and they really do buy from you as a person. Um, and also, um, it's, it's, it's from that all the way down to even the sort of you know, the psychology behind the actual call itself or, you know, the voice and so on and so on. But that's more sort of, you know, sales training. That, uh, yeah. But. So I think you've kind of touched on a few, um, topics I want to come back to you, but, um, before we move on to those, I just want to, um, ask safe. So you've kind of you 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 mentioned that you were kind of promoted from doing cold calls to more senior um, uh, position. I was just wondering um, how though how are those roles different, and do they require a different uh, skill set mm. um, in terms of uh, doing the job? Um, yeah, so there's a lot of different companies that will you know apply lots of different kind of roles within sales, right? So um you typically see this within the software and the SaaS space where you'll have highly specialized openers or sales development reps. They'll book meetings for um for your closers per se, but then a lot of companies will have full 360 salespeople as well, um, which is opening and closing all in one role. And then the layer above, which is quite consistent between both, is the management layer. So just to touch on I guess each one very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, but yeah, so you've got openers, closers, and then you've got management, right? So, so the openers are really good at, you know, gauging interest, keeping people on the phone, um, you know, keeping hold of people's attention very, very quickly, uh, and then getting people to, to look at the next step. Your, your closers are typically the ones that are really good at discovery, those, those probing questions to get into the depths of what your prospect is looking to achieve, what their problems are, what kind of impact that's having. Um, and then management is a completely different skill set beyond that. And it's all about your man management, how you can inspire, how you can coach, um, how you can have cross-departmental relationships. It's a lot more kind of people-focused in management. So so those are kind of the, the three key differences I'd see between each one. So, I mean, something you've uh, both kind of mentioned, uh, kind of touched on briefly, um, kind of what skills do you think a good salesperson needs? Are they universal? They depend on the industry or the type of role that you're kind of in, whether it be opener or, or closer or B2B or B2C? And let, uh, Mike, if you want to take a, a, a run on that question first. I'll let Michael <laughs> take that one. Yeah. <laughs> it, it reminds me of like my first ever interview of Daily Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Tenacity, uh, uh, hardworking. Uh, no, um, <laughs> no it, it, I mean, yeah, we, we laugh, but I think, yeah, being tenacious is still um, mm. one of the key ingredients. Um, persistence, plus a, but in a professional way. Um, and also research, research, and research. Um, uh, I mean, customers and clients, they, they, if, you, if you're talking to them in you know, the first time, they love that you've done all your research about them and, you know, you can just continue the flow of the conversation. 
um, teamwork, definitely. Um, and then just embracing um, today's technology as well, because there's so many um, different platforms and tools that I never used to have. I mean, back in the day, I, I just had a, a deck of newspapers that we canvassed from. Um, yeah, it was like pre-Google, pre-Google. Um, so yeah, I mean, nowadays, not only do you have Google, but you have so many sort of social media platforms, LinkedIn, to find out who's who, um, to really discover the background before you actually make the initial call or, or actual face-to-face -face meeting. And um, it's very, very useful. So so for, uh, should I say, I don't know, should I say millennials? Or should I say the new undergrads that are coming out um, going into sales, they, they, they have lots and lots of tools to um, actually help them um, perform their, their, their roles really effectively. So, Seth, um, what, um, kind of what's your view on that in terms of the skills a salesperson needs and um, are they dependent, are they universal or they're dependent on kind of the industry? Uh, I think the answer to that question is both, right? I think I think for a lot of salespeople that work in something very, very, very specific, right? Like, for example, there's a lot of salespeople that work in selling a particular computer chip that only goes into five or six computers, which means their total addressable market is 100 companies, right? Their skill set is going to be down to networking, um, internal championing, referrals. That's a very particular kind of skill set. I think for companies like myself that have quite a large total addressable market around the world, we can speak to most companies, then your kind of core sales ability comes in, right? But you still need both. And the and to answer the question as to which skills are transferable across both, I think for me, it's two things. One is the ability to actively listen. Mm. Um, and, and second is the ability to, to really empathize, right? Um, and what I mean by active listening is a lot of people will listen to what people are saying, um, but they will be thinking of what they can say in response as opposed to what your prospect is actually saying, right? It's hard for me to give an example, but a lot of people listen to answer, but a lot of people listen to understand. And I think that's a fundamental difference. The best salespeople actually listen to the concerns, the challenges that they face. And then if you do that right, you can ask the right types of questions, really get into the crux of what might be stopping that cell from going through. And that ties you quite nicely into the empathy piece because the average sales transaction, I don't care what you sell, even if it's a mobile phone to a granny, you're going to have to try and convince someone else to try and proceed as well. That could be her son, it could be her father, it could be a CEO of a big company is going to lean on their marketing director, their sales director or their CFO. You need to ensure that you're listening to your internal champion first, understanding what their challenges are, and then using that to your advantage to really accelerate the sell throughout the pipeline. So those are the kind of two th key things for me there. I think uh, kind of the empathetic listening thing, I think that's 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 um, really interesting. Um, I recently finished a book uh, called Think Again, and mm. a big part of that was how we, when we're having conversations, we take on different roles and you know some of those roles aren't always um the, the right one in terms of kind of trying to to persuade someone mm. to to your line of thinking um i'm just interested for you know again a question for you both um kind of what is your sale process what's your typical day like mike if you want to uh, take that question first yeah um oh, how can i say i mean it, very very different like 
if I'm talking about ho- the hotel sector, um, a lot of it was just relationship building, more consultative selling, um, and then I, I did I did more sort of more account management towards the end, as well as managing <clears throat> like three people under my little segment. But um, but if you're a newbie in in sort of hotel sales, like for example, then <clears throat> a typical day would be um, to research uh, potential prospects and, and sort of new clients, um, researching geographical areas, um, researching the companies that you want to target, um, looking at the, the company's rankings, the size of the company, more information, you know, from about the actual company itself, how well they're performing, any news and updates, subscribing to Google alerts to do with that company. So that you have good things to talk about when you do put a you know put a call in uh, when you do meet with them. Um, with with hotel sales, you literally pick up the phone sometimes and you make the initial contact, find out who it is, have a little chat, and then you set up the appointment. Um, a, a lot of it was face to face selling. Um, we we would actually go in and see the customer first, so that you actually go and see what the company's like, get a feel for things. Um, and then ultimately you want to invite them back to see the, the hotel, the facilities and the services and get a feel for things, um, before you sit down again to talk about pricing, um, their needs, their requirements and how we can sort of, you know, satisfy. How is that kind of different to what, what you're doing at the moment? Is it still kind of doing a lot of research into the company that you're going to be approaching? Um, kind of finding out who who the go-to person to speak to is—is is that part of the job? Quite similar. Yeah, it is. Um, albeit a, a much faster pace in the oil industry. Um, again, you're sort of back to telesales. Um, and if if I if I know that there's good potential, and if they're not buying straight away, but they're giving off a lot of buying signals, then um, I would then uh, be quite proactive and actually go out and make an appointment to go and see them. Um, to hopefully then close the deal. Um, I mean, it's very, very cutthroat industry in, in the sort of oil, oil industry. There's just so many brands, there's so many other distributors, so many companies, um, and it's quite a fickle industry. There's no loyalty, really. So everything's sort of down to, okay, your product and how much is it? Um, so it's very, very fast pace. But yeah, all the research work still needs to be done. Um, so yeah, I mean, in that sense, it's, it's not... Um, not much different to any other sort of sales roles, I think. And safe, kind of, what's your kind of typical sales process like? What's your what's your what's your, what's your sales day? Um, so I work in I work in software, right? So mine is um, kind of completely Zoom focused. This was even pre-COVID. Um, mm. So I'd have so uh, so I'm the associate director of sales. So half of my time is spent billing, and half of my time is actually spent managing. So it's a little bit of a hybrid role. Mm. Um, so if I was kind of splitting it in half, I'd say I'd have <laughs> one or two meetings. Uh, a day where one of the openers has booked me a meeting, I would then do a little bit of research into that prospect, into the company, what they do, get some similar use cases up, um, kind of understand from the demo notes what they might be looking to achieve and, and kind of build a bit of a narrative that way. Uh, would then hold a discovery. If it's a good fit, go on and, and show the product or the solution, uh, then discuss commercials and then um, essentially deduce and assess next steps, who that might be, what they need, what they don't need, so on and so forth. That's one side of it. Um, and then I guess the, the other side is kind of managing with my 
existing team into their pipeline who uh, essentially who they need who they need to be speaking to what they might have missed throughout their sales process um, and then just kind of doing a little bit of due diligence uh, from that aspect as well um, so I'm going to skip over the the, the next uh, question and basically kind of get to I think it's something you've kind of both touched on a little bit already but um, the last company I was at was a b2b software company and the head of sales there, the CRO, his philosophy of sales was try to get to the no as quickly mm. as possible. So um, kind of a question for both of you, what's your sales philosophy? Is it to get to the yes as quickly as possible? Is it to get to no, to no as quickly as possible? Is it something entirely different? Uh, Mike, if you want to take that on, I appreciate we've got, um, yeah, we've got a little time with Mike still, but yeah, if you want to take that question, Mike. Um, I would say um know when to um hold back um because a lot of salespeople we can we can talk till the cows come home um um and i'm not into pressure selling anymore i mean i was i was never that kind of into pressure selling but um yeah knowing when to hold back don't push too far um and, and just have loads of like respect and what Sable was saying you know empathy and consideration um even even though you know my my audience and my customers have changed now because of the industry I'm in now um I still thoroughly believe in having um respect and, and giving sort of consideration and, and the time to the person that you're talking to and so on and so on and if they're not interested then just don't push it um uh, and, and there's been a f- quite a few occasions where um I know you know I kind of knew when to hold back and then just just Give it a bit of time, then go back to it, and so on, and so on. Eventually, they'll come to you, um, and they, they'll really appreciate that kind of thing. Uh, and for you, safe, what's kind of um, your philosophy? You've kind of mentioned a lot about active listening and empathy. I was just wondering if there's any other uh, any other stuff that plays into it. Yeah, the best salespeople are the best disqualifiers. That's that's my experience, right? If you, I completely agree with your ex head of sales and, and CRO. Going for no is a big part of what I do and a big part of what I teach into my reps. There is nothing more frustrating than a sales rep with a diluted pipeline. Someone that is trying to work 15 to 20 ops where only two or three of them may close is going to be far less effective than the sales guy that is working only five ops, but the same two or three opportunities might close. You need to be able to disqualify and focus on the opportunities that do have the potential of closing. Not burning bridges, as Mike said, pressure selling is is wrong but being able to deduce which opportunities aren't going to close within a specific time frame so you can really prioritize the opportunities that can close will make you in the long run a lot more consistent um, and it's a lot more of a scalable model otherwise yeah managing a diluted pipeline is is the death of many salespeople. um so that kind of moves quite uh uh neatly onto kind of my, my, my next question is um and I think I've got uh, an idea of uh, what, what both your answers are going to be. Is it more important to re- know um, uh, in depth about the product that you're selling, or is it um, <laughs> more important to understand the customer that you're you're selling it to, uh, Mike? If you if you want to take a crack at that one, first. is it is it, is it either or? <laughs> it's either or. I think it's, it's either or. If you had to, if you had to pick one, if you had to pick one for the rest of your career. Which one would yeah. it be? <laughs> <laughs> if I was, if I was to pick one, if I was allowed to pick one, I would probably pick understanding the customer more. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, it depends. It depends if it's a really specific product, like medical or IT based, then yeah, you really need to know your stuff and know your product. But if it's not, I think a lot of the time, you know, it wouldn't take you too long to actually suss out what the product you're trying to sell. Uh, and sometimes you, you can get away with waffling. Um, but what <laughs> I found in the last sort of, you know, uh, 10 years, 14 years or so being in, 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 in the hotel sales industry is not to bullshit though. If you don't know, you just tell them don't know, put your hands up. Honesty is the best policy sometimes. And it's, it's the easiest way to generate trust, right? By telling someone yeah. what you don't know kind of breaks down that barrier. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think for me, it's, it's complete. I completely agree. Um, cust- customer focus, right? I think for me, that's the difference between a feature seller and a consultative seller, right? A consultative seller is always customer centric first mm. and then can pick and choose bits of the product that will solve the issue. Mm. Um, whereas a product focused salesperson will, I don't know if you want me to excuse my French on this podcast, but will throw enough shit at the wall and hope something resonates with the customer and then they get their sell that way. <laughs> Right, I think I think that's that's fairly representative, right? Like you yeah. know, if you go if you go to a showroom and you say I want a fast car, but the guy's just telling you all about the the sunroof, you know, you're going to lose him. Who might come to the engine later on, but the the salesperson that actually understands that you want a fast car and shows you the fastest car in the showroom is going to be more successful than the guy that knows every single bit of spec. That that's the mm. way I think about it, anyway. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah, I think um, I think that's generally true across most things i think understanding people whatever industry whatever job you're doing i think is by far the most important skill that that you can have because you can build up other schools around it um so at my you know last company i was at there was kind of a bit of envy um with regards to kind of the the, the wages um and rewards that sales uh people got um and you know, but with those wages and those rewards comes a lot of pressure. So I was just wondering if both of you could kind of perhaps talk about maybe dealing with envy from um, other people in the company and also kind of handling the pressure of meeting um, sales targets as well. Mike? No, I think um, uh, managing your pipeline, um, and constantly keeping your your management teams up to date with what you're doing and activities. Because at the end of the day, um, you are your own PR machine as well. Um, whether it be an individual or, you know, your team, a lot of it is to do a PR. You need to show them not only the, the sort of figures and, and hitting the targets and all the revenue and whatnot, but also um, they need to develop trust in you and your team as well that you are um performing you are doing the right things you are looking at the right channels and so on so on so um i think i think yeah that's that's very important and then also um working as a team uh definitely teamwork embracing it and actually talking to you know your seniors your other colleagues and you know if you have any sort of under you know, if you're under any sort of pressure or if you you know just can't handle anything i think i think it's always good to sort of you know bring out to the open and, and, and talking about it and just being honest as well. Um, cause you know, when you, when you, when you are sort of presenting your figures or in your reviews, quarterly reviews and so on and so on, um, you can't bullshit. Um, so if they're asking you, how come, you know, figures are not there, blah, blah, blah. And you just need to be honest and, you know, provided that you can actually back up what you say and, you know, 
um, and, and just start, you know, explaining um, what's to come, um, whether there are rejections or there are any sort of market forces that are, um, you know, affecting things, then yeah, you just, just always, always be honest. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's all I can say really. Yes, I'm just wary of the time that we've got available with Mike. So I think that's probably the last question I'll put to him. Um, Mike, where can um, my listeners kind of get hold of you, find you on social media, or um, are there any kind of is there any kind of like projects or products that you you want to uh, plug before um, before I let you go? Um, <laughs> I don't want to take a money. You can just put kind of like your LinkedIn details out there. It doesn't need to be. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, doesn't it, doesn't need to be your MySpace account from yeah. my <laughs> you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, we're a very um, reputable um, oil um, dispute, distributor, um, carrying great brands. We do Castrol, we do Fuchs, we do Atlantic, and yeah, so it's it's incredible, incredible brands, incredible oil, incredible company. Yeah, so uh, yeah, watch the space. Okay, that's it. Great. Uh, thank you so much for for taking the time uh, to speak, Mike. I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, we're going to continue with. The podcast have just got a few more questions for safe um okay mike um if you need to go you can go see ya cheers mike cheers, cheers, bye. Bye. cool all right so i've just got a couple more questions for you then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go um i'm good for time well. it's not like i've yeah. got anywhere to be <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah so kind of just the same question to you in terms of um you know, the handling the pressure of meeting targets and maybe mm. dealing with um, envy from people that aren't in the sales team about kind of maybe some of the remuneration that you, you might be getting. Mm. I think it's a, it's a really tough one because I think a lot of people within your existing organization only see the sexy part of your job, right? Especially working from home. They only see the deals going up on the board. You know, they, as you rightly said, the the kind of the financial compensation that comes with it, people only see that, and and, and it's going to evoke envy. I think there's nothing that you can do to stop that. Um, and I think what a lot of salespeople do is they feel bad about it, you know, and that kind of victim mentality just kind of reinforces the the subtle opinion that it's not really fair how much difference it is. And I think we need to eliminate that altogether. Um, and I think the best way you can do that is by providing equal opportunity, right? Um, we've had people in the sales team that have moved over from marketing. We've had people move over from customer success. We've had people come over from, from admin roles or in, or in entry-level roles and they made their way up. I think if anyone is really envious as to what financial compensation you're getting, give them the ability to start at the entry-level role and make their way up, right? Um, yeah. I think that that's, that's a really good way of, of combating that. Um, is actually being able to provide someone with a platform to say, look, if you want to get there, you've got to work, you've got to, you've got to put in the work and you've got to yeah. earn your stripes to be in that position. And I think a lot of people don't do that because they just assume that other people can't do sales. And I don't think that's necessarily fair or reflective of people's skill sets. Yeah. Um, the other part of that question was targets, right? But yeah, I'm kind of pressure to pressure me. I mean, yeah. every, you know, every company I've been at kind of the pressure is always on the salesman to kind of like, yeah, for sure. Tells, yeah, to, to kind of bring in bring in the money to mm. keep the company going. So it's just how you know how do you handle that pressure and kind of what advice you can give to other people in terms of yeah. Um, a, a, a big part of what I preach to my team is is accepting the fact that it's a high pressure job. Okay, 
you've got a number on your head. That number you may be looking at daily, you may be looking at it weekly, monthly, quarterly, year, whatever kind of metric you're measured against. But if you're going to consistently fixate on what that big target and big number is, you're going to fail the entire process that will allow you to get there, right? For example, in, in martial arts terms, if you're consistently fixated on becoming a black belt, you're going to forget about all of the stuff that you need to do to get there and all of the other belts that you need to get along the way. So a big part of what I do is I focus on my controllables. So when I was cold calling, I was focused on, right, I need to ensure I'm putting in the correct number of dials a day. If I'm putting in the right amount of dials a day, I know I'm going to be having X amount of conversations. If I have X amount of conversations, I need, I need to ensure that I'm doing X, Y, Z in order to get X outcome. For me, if I'm thinking about what those smaller micro objectives are for the entire process, it's a lot more in my control. And then the big picture kind of looks after itself. Um, so it's just, it's just about ensuring that I have much more smaller achievable targets. And if I fall short, along the way there, then I have enough time to rectify that bit of the process to make sure it doesn't have a major impact to my overall big goal, right? So I think that's, you know, kind of basic project management skills, isn't it? Kind of breaking yeah. up a task into into smaller bits and then yeah, correct. giving yourself a schedule and a timeline to, to kind of deal with with those tasks. Um, so this is more of a, a general question. Um, in terms of uh, sales how do you think it currently fits into the industry that you're working at the moment and uh how do you think it should kind of change really kind of do you think the, the approach will will change should change or do you think the way that your industry as a whole uh, as it approaches sell is um on the mark i think what we're really moving away from this is kind of the biggest difference that i'm noticing over time is we're really, really moving away from the type of sales process where buyers are uninformed into what their purchases are. Um, so where, you know, whatever time ago you want to say, five, ten, ten years ago, people weren't really sure about what they were buying. They were, it was a lot more impulsive. It was a lot more done on emotion. And that's still true today, right? People do buy on emotion. That's an undeniable fact. But I think what we're seeing now, especially within the B2B and, and, and the software and the networking space, is that marketing's having a real big influence on people's buying decisions. People are a lot more informed. People are a lot more educated. There's a lot more competition. Where there was five software as a service products 10 years ago, there's about 450 software as a service products now. So what the biggest difference is, is that the salespeople need to become a lot more consultative in order to really understand what their prospects, pain points and objectives are so that you can really deduce if your product is going to be the right fit or not. Whereas before, I think you could make enough calls and, you know, just throw, again, throw enough crap at the wall and something will stick. I think long term, that's just not scalable. People are too educated into what they're buying nowadays to, to fall for that stuff anymore. Yeah. And, and do you think that's kind of one of the biggest fan challenges uh, facing the industry? Or is there something else that come, kind of comes come, comes to mind in terms of like, the biggest challenge would when you say like, challenge is it is it challenges for the buyer challenges for the industry challenges for the sales people challenges for like you know the sales people i mean if you're um coming across a more um educated yeah uh buyer oh, yes. that, that's yeah. gonna i imagine maybe put up a few more, more walls, or maybe the yeah maybe the, the conversation might be more 
conducive because you've got someone who's you're going to be able to kind of exchange ideas with more so i don't know i th- um i yeah. think what, what it's going to really do is going to separate the men from the boys in terms of the salespeople. i think previously you could get away with being a mediocre salesperson if you had kind of very disruptive technology and you had no other challenges in the space or you know you you have a product that's very, very kind of low, low price and low risk, and you just put people on trials. Those people will be okay. But I think where the industry is going, software is becoming a lot more of an integral part of, of a lot of businesses' kind of core tech stack and the way that they're operating. What that will mean is that buyers are going to be more informed. They're going to have more challenges. They're going to know of lots of different products in the space, and it's going to really separate the salespeople that can cut through the noise and find out exactly what they need to be talking about against the guys that are going to be more future selly and just read off presentation decks, which no one gives you know a crap about reading anymore. It's going to really yeah. separate the consultative sellers from the feature waffly sellers. And and you know what? That's a change that I'm, I'm quite looking forward to, yeah. to having, really. Yeah. Uh, I know certainly when salesmen were kind of pitching me IT solutions in mm. my last job, you could kind of tell people that were invested in building a relationship as to those For who... Sure you were kind of just presenting the sales deck that they've been trained to. And that's, a, um, I, think, I think that's a really good point. I think what we're going to see is that where a lot of salespeople were trying to be all things to all men previously, we're moving towards an environment and an ecosystem now where it's all going to be about specialisms. I think we're going to have very, very highly, highly specialized software. We're going to have highly specialized salespeople that are pitching people with very specialized problems and it's going to be hard for those people that have, you know, gotten away with just pitching everything to everyone and being okay. We're going to really see that highly specialist skill set coming to the fore with some people, and the people that won't be able to upskill themselves to that level are, are not going to make it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's. I think upskilling yourself is. Uh, I think it's especially now, kind of what's happened with COVID. I think a lot of people are looking to change industries and learning new skills and that sort of thing. So that kind of brings me back around to kind of the point that I made at the the start of the podcast. Mm. Um, 65% of primary school children that are going through primary school at the moment are going to be working in jobs that um, don't exist yet. So my kind of question to you is, do you think uh, sales techniques and skills should be kind of taught in schools? Because I think, you know, being in sales is, it's not a job that, um, that you can automate really mm. you're still gonna you know people still buy from people so i was just wondering what your what your thoughts on that would be i'm really surprised that it isn't taught and and i'm not saying that you need to have i'm not saying you need to do an a level in sales right i can just imagine how awful that module would be. <laughs> you know, yeah. i could just imagine just pictures of jordan belfort and, and snippets from wolf of wall street and it's yeah. completely putting more people off i think what there should be a real emphasis on is human communication. I don't think in school kids are taught how to hold a conversation. You know, it sounds silly, but being able to have good etiquette when they have a conversation, how to actually copyright, how to articulate things in writing, how to articulate things with your words, how to, you know, really understand, ask good engaging questions. And I know it, it kind of goes into a little bit of the realm of psychology, but that's its own kind of rabbit hole. I think it, there should be a, a real kind of key emphasis on being able to hold a conversation, etiquette in, in meetings and just preparing you for professional life. I think for the people that find that quite natural, being able to talk to people, being able to be quite natural at having conversational ability that will allow people to kind of step into that sales role 
with a little bit less friction. Well, I mean, you speak to most salespeople, right? They they say that they fell into the role. That's not scalable. You're 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 missing out on so much top talent because yeah. people just don't really know about the profession. Um, they think that salespeople are you know just just mobile phone salesmen or or they're car floggers, right? But but it's a lot more. It's a lot more than that. Um, and I think a, a core fundamental issue is that the core skill set that you need for sales isn't something that is taught in school. And for me, that is kind of the biggest shortfall, um, if that answers your question. Yeah, I think I I kind of completely agree with that. I think, you know, the current um, kind of national curriculum focus on like knowing facts and stuff like this, I don't think it's, I don't think it's preparing children for the kind of the world that's that's coming. Which mm. I mean, he, I mean, you know, I think five, ten years ago, kind of did the massive changes that Facebook and Google have made. Kind of, who knows what changes are coming down the road in ten, fifteen years' time? For sure. Um, so yes, I think I completely agree with you. Uh, Teaching uh, people how to communicate is is is, is really important. Uh, and I think it all stems from the fact that you know, kids as young as thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, they they are being indoctrinated with you need to now start picking your specialisms and i think that's a problem yeah you know? i think that is a huge yeah it, it's 14 it's a lot of stress man it, it's, it's a lot how how is a 14 or 15 year old gonna know what they want to do in 10 15 years time it's completely ridiculous you know it's you're saying to a 14 15 year old all right are you going to go down the creative media route are you going to go down the scientific route and then once you start on that path once you get to your a levels you can't switch as easily because your gcse's were wrong in the first place and then once you've got your A-levels, you want to go into a degree that may be slightly different, but hold on, you didn't do your A-levels in the right thing, so then you're trapped. Um, and that, for me, is, is quite sad. You know that, that was the good thing about sales. Because there are no kind of core specialisms that you need in education, that's why a lot of people do kind of pivot into it, because there's no kind of prerequisites for it. Um, and I think there needs to be a little bit of reform and a little bit more flexibility, because the current system is quite rigid, which is why you find people going into lots of different professions and degrees that they're not particularly interested in or they particularly enjoy, but they feel trapped because that's yeah. the, what they've done before that is only leading them down that one path. Um, so that, that obviously is something that I'd like to see changed or at least looked at. Yeah. I think that's, you know, I completely um, agree with you there. Um, so kind of coming on to the last few, few questions I've, I've got now. Um, what do you know now as a salesperson that you wish you knew when you kind of started out? Oh, that's a great question. Um, no one customer is the same. I think yeah. that's a really that's really poignant for me. I think looking back, I think a lot of sales jobs have scripts, um, and, and scripts have their place, right? Um, I, I say scripts, I mean kind of templates and things yeah. like that, snippets and all of that sort of thing. Kind of the the sort of thing you see. Have you seen the movie um, Sorry to Bother You? Yes. Yes, kind yes, of that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly like that, right? And and I think that the age of the telemarketer with a with a yellow pages or a catalogue of answers to every single objection is gone. Like that, them days are finished now, um, because now every single customer has their own specific use case. They have their own specific obstacles and hurdles, and every sales cycle, the longer it goes on, twists and turns in its own way. Um, so for me someone telling me that this is the persona, this is the problem that they're going to have is wrong. Um, and what happens with that kind of indoctrination is that you you lose the skills to listen. You lose the skills to 
generate empathy and what that leads to are misaligned buyers and that's the death of all salespeople. so if i was to give myself any bit of advice you know to, to save xyz years ago is listen first and then draw on your experience to address problems as opposed to assuming problems that your prospect may have that will probably be my number one bit of advice okay cool um is there anything that i haven't asked you about that um i should have or any topics that i haven't touched on that you'd um like to talk about no i wouldn't say so um yeah unless there's anything else you want to ask me no i think that's that's kind of it really um so so if where can people find you uh, you're going to be kind of on linkedin uh, that sort of thing yeah so i'm on linkedin so first name safe so s-a-i-f last name is khan k-h-a-n uh, and i have a very fancy c-i-s-f at the end of my name so I'm, I'm very easy to find on linkedin okay cool and is there anything that you'd like to plug before i let you go uh yep so for any um for any marketers ceo sales directors in the business to business environment cognizant is a solution that can help your sales and marketing teams uh reduce the time it takes to prospect by generating highly intelligent contact data, compliant contact data, as well as business intelligence as well. So if you're interested in learning more, feel free to drop me a line. Uh, that's great. And um, are you in a position to talk about your podcast yet or is that still coming? Uh, yeah, actually. Uh, so we've just recorded episode one. Um, our, uh, the podcast I'm with is with two gentlemen um, called Ashley Corlett and kieran smith so kieran smith is a head of sales and ashley caller is an enterprise business development representative um the podcast is called three guys walk to into a bar uh, and we're just going to be talking about all things kind of sales business development related um it'll be quite light-hearted um kind of banter as well as addressing some core issues so um, i'll be dropping some more details over the coming week so feel free to to tune in Okay, that's great. Uh, thank you very much, Safe. Um, have a good evening and um, thanks for taking the time to speak to me. Okay, thanks, guys. Bye.